Hello everyone and welcome back to the Misunderstood Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Dylan. And today we've got a very special episode. We've got a special guest on. Um, a girl called Rachel Abbott. Uh, we've known Rachel uh, for a while, haven't we, though, from school? Yeah, we've known her since uh, year seven all the way up to um, year 11. So we've known her for, for almost about, was it six years? Yeah, something like that. So, um, Rachel, why don't you just come on and say a little bit about yourself and who you are and whatever. Um, yeah, so hi, I'm Rachel, uh, also based in uh, North Wales. And um, as Dylan and uh, Bill just said, we sort of went to high school together and then sort of drifted apart a bit, as I did with many people from high school, and I'm probably going to explain a bit about why that was in this podcast. Um, I was raised as Jehovah's Witness, and I'm not anymore now. Um, yeah. And yeah. There we go. <laughs> and uh, so basically what this episode is all about is Rachel explaining her experience being in Jehovah's Witness, what it's like to live as Jehovah's Witness. And Rachel's currently left to Jehovah's Witnesses now. So she's going to talk about what her life is like now as a non-Jehovah Witness. So, Rachel, why don't um, we're going to start from the start. So um, why don't you tell us a bit about where you grew up and what it was like being a child, being a Jehovah Witness? Yeah, so um, like a lot of kids that are Jehovah's Witnesses, I was born into it. My parents, when I was first born, um, were both Jehovah's Witnesses at the time. They left when I was about five, but... Um, my family situation was a bit complicated due to my mum's mental health conditions, um, my dad's as well. So my sister and brother-in-law then brought me up from there, but they were still part of the Chauvet's Witness faith and they brought me up from there. Um, there were certain things growing up as Jehovah's Witness that weren't too bad. Um, they, you know, parents, they have, they're quite strict. So they sort of teach their kids to be quite well behaved generally and things like that and sort of be quite aware of others, which is a good thing. But it did have its downsides as well, particularly when it came to making friendships. Um, they sort of encourage Jehovah's Witnesses to um, spend time with other Jehovah's Witnesses, particularly kids. So I could spend time with other kids that were in my congregation but when it came to school friends I wasn't allowed to go around to other people's houses and of course as everybody knows Chova's Witnesses don't celebrate Christmas don't celebrate birthdays so there were certain definite challenges growing up feeling very different from everybody else that I was with and sometimes quite isolated as well yeah that's yeah I know so you say so, your parents left at five Rachel where where did they go exactly so as I sort of mentioned um my mum my mum's schizophrenic and she sort of had a bit of a meltdown at that age and she basically she left the Jehovah's Witnesses but she left the entire family she just disappeared one night so that's why my my sister and my um brother-in-law her her partner stepped in to take care of me um because she many Many of the things that she was against with the Jehovah's Witness were valid. Other things, unfortunately, her condition sort of made her want to, to leave as well. Um, sort of took, that took me a long time to sort of really understand because when you're five, you don't understand when you, why your mum disappears. Um, but, but yeah, um, unfortunately, it was what her mind told her was the best thing to do at that time. So that's why. And yeah, so yeah. Sister so how did the uh, religion, how did Jehovah's Witness religion, how were they towards uh, 
your, your mother's mental health problems were they quite supportive or were they were, did they just brush it under the carpet what was their sort of uh, reaction to it if you like well yeah, I, I don't think this would necessarily be the reaction of every Jehovah's Witness out there. But in my case, because she left the religion at the same time, um, she got labelled an apostate. And basically right. what an apostate is in Jehovah's Witness terms is anybody who speaks out against the witnesses publicly. So what I'm doing now, basically. Yes. And <laughs> that can be like something very simple. As long as you're going out saying, talking against them, you're labelled as an apostate. Even if you're not saying anything malicious, it's got quite a negative connotation, that label amongst the Jehovah's Witnesses. And right. because of that, the mental health signs weren't really looked into. It all got lumped under this apostate label and the schizophrenia was apparently her talking to demons and um, many people of the faith sort of believed that she was possessed. Um, which seems quite strange being in the 21st century, saying that people are possessed. But um, that's how many of them sort of treated her and that's how many of them felt that's what she was. And I didn't fully understand sort of the fact that she was actually mentally ill until I was in my late teens, because that's what I've been growing up being taught. And, you know, being very young and being surrounded by your mother sort of saying certain things that seem unrealistic, that, that did make sense that she was possessed at that age. So that was the sort of main attitude they had. Do they do they label all mental health conditions that you're um, consulting with demons, Rachel? Do you reckon that's what they do? Um, no, not necessarily, because um, quite a number of, like I say, in the faith and, um, yeah, at the time, they, they do recognise depression and anxiety. Again, it depends who you talk to. Um yeah, it, it very much depends on the person's belief. They don't generally, I wouldn't say no, they wouldn't always label it as, as demons and things. But certain times, like if, if it lines up in, in that case with my mum leaving at the same time, they will sort of use it as evidence that's not actually there. Right. So what you're saying is is that they won't label it they won't label it as a mental health condition if they're speaking out against the religion. So if they, if your mother say had, you know, was had had these conditions, but she was still a Jehovah's Witness, they probably wouldn't label her as uh, possessed by a demon. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably yeah, probably is the case. And like I say, I don't. I've, I've got to be honest. I don't think I've really heard of many other sort of Jehovah's Witnesses where cases like this have happened. It was particularly, I think, because my mum, is she she's quite a sort of dominant person and quite outspoken. So yeah. because she was sort of very sort of vocal about it, it just became, Oh, you know, <clears throat> don't listen to her. She's just possessed as a quick way to sort of shun what she was saying. And of course. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. type of things would you, would you say roughly? What would she actually say? Um, well, there's obviously been a lot of controversy around, uh, the child abuse, um, going on within, yeah. within the faith and the, the particularly the cover up. So, um, the fact that there have been cases of child abuse that have been brought forward but haven't then been reported to the police. And when I was younger, there was an episode of a well, series by Panorama that you know they did an investigation and they sort of uncovered quite a few cases of this where child abuse had been happening and had just been sort of swept under the carpet. So she would talk about that a lot, which is sort of very valid. But then, of course, she'd also have... The mental health issues that would sort of creep into it so 
she would say things like that which were very logical and then she would tell her that Jesus came down and warned her that this was happening and spoke to her in person they had a coffee together and right. now MI5 are chasing after her and <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't really laugh at all but it's it's yeah. it's sort of how our minds work so it gets it sort of got mixed up with what is logical and what her what her mind made also yeah. be logical in that sense yeah uh, yeah i kind of i don't i know what you're saying so just for the listeners rachel uh, before we go any for, uh, forward a bit more can yeah. you just give a general background to what did jehovah witness actually uh, believe as is their belief system yeah so they're a form of christian faith um that like to sort of separate themselves from the rest of christianity because they have certain beliefs that are unique to them particularly with the um sort of certain beliefs about uh, christmas and easter and birthdays they anything that's sort of remotely pagan that they that has any sort of pagan origins they will shun completely which includes things like easter and christmas um not all things but that's that's down a different avenue um they're very focused around the bible and live by it but they have their own translation of the bible that they live by and their own publications um that they produce as well they've probably seen their trolleys around and you know people knocking on doors with magazines in their hands that they've produced as well all right that's quite fascinating so um, how would you describe Jehovah's Witnesses in terms of Catholicism or Protestants? What branch of Christianity or are they their own separate um, entity? If that makes sense. Yeah, they're sort of on their their own things. They're not. Um, so, for example, they don't believe in things like the Trinity, which is more common with sort of Catholicism. Yeah. Um, they they probably have more in common with the Mormons, but they have yeah. slight differences. So, for example, Mormons they're against drinking alcohol and caffeine um jehovah's witnesses are fine with that whereas mormons are fine to go to university and although jehovah's witnesses don't have any specific rule about not going to university it's heavily 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 discouraged so they're probably more on the track of the mormons they sort of came about the same sort of time late sort of 18th century sort of time um 19th century rather so right yeah, the sort of that so it's quite a modern it's sort of quite a modern branch of christianity yeah in terms of catholicism or protestant or methodist um if the listeners rachel why don't you yep. um explain why you don't celebrate christmas or easter yeah so as i mentioned before they're sort of very against anything which they consider to have pagan origins so um you may know that the origins of christmas started in the sort of roman times where um the emperor at the time was trying to sort of encourage relations between those that believed in christianity and those that believed in the sort of roman uh, traditional beliefs back then yeah, yeah. um and because the the bible doesn't actually mention when christ was born um but the fact that the shepherds were sleeping outside probably indicates that it wasn't in the middle of december but it also coincides with the festival of light um so what the emperor decided to do was to say that the festival of light was also the birth of christ and bring them together and that was the origin of christmas which personally i actually quite like because it's the idea of trying to bring different faiths together but, oh, absolutely, yeah, come together. 
and try and make peace, yeah. you know? Yeah, but of course, because it doesn't have true Christian origins um, and it was a mixture of the, the at times time considered pagan origins, that's why the Trovis Witnesses are against it. And right. it's very similar with all the other holidays. So like Easter, of course, you have people often ask what on earth is a bunny and chocolate eggs got to do with Easter. Again, that comes from other customs that are not related to Christianity. So that's why they are against them. Well, um, I went to a Christian school and uh, primary school, and they said that the egg is meant to symbolise life. If that makes sense, yeah, um, yeah. I thought that would that would co- coincide or correspond with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, did they not believe that the egg symbolised life then? Um, they like did. Most religions? Yeah, it's just the the reason again with Easter is again it's to do with another. It's to do with the again. I'm not sure of what the the name of the, the faith is called because they just used to label everything as pagan and not teach us actually um but the it's to do with the i think it's, it's a sort of festival of fertility so it is around a festival oh, of yeah. life but it's the fact that that wasn't a christian celebration and that got right. mixed in with with the memory of christ's death so yeah i, I yeah. could be wrong here but i t- i thought it was something to do with the roman god esther yes uh, i think that's right yeah yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. To the, she was the Roman god of fertility, or something yes. like that. I think. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is right. That's hence Easter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Rachel, growing up, like, you know, um, did you love God? Did you believe God was your world, and that's all you were supposed to care about, or did you start having thoughts of, oh, um, what the, what else is out there, or were you? Did you love God? That's what I'm asking. Um, yeah, I was I was fully fully dedicated to the faith. Um, I remember having moments when I was younger where I struggled. Um, just things like I, I I always understood about how to explain about Christmas and Easter because we believed you know that's that's the way that you know that was other religions mixed in with that. It didn't it didn't bother me too much. But I always struggled with the fact that I couldn't have friends that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. That never made much sense to me. Mm. But I did believe very heavily in God and believed that he had a sort of promise for after everybody died to to live in paradise and to the point where when I was 14, I actually got baptised and fully dedicated myself to the religion um, because at that time I was 100% con- convinced that it was the right way to go um, and believed that it was the following that faith was the main hope for humanity at the time and it was it made logical sense to me back then so that's why i went and uh, dedicated yeah. myself yeah and so what at 14 do you get baptized or is that just your case um no it's it's entirely up to the individuals so jehovah's witnesses don't have christenings they just have baptisms and that is down to the individual when they feel ready so I've seen kids as young as nine get baptised to people in their 70s get baptised. It's it's sort of entirely, it's supposed to be a very individual thing, which the, the, there is pressure there, even though it's sort of discouraged, but it is, it's supposed to be very much your own decision. But still, 14, you know, your mind changes a lot at that age. So, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah of course. It's, you can't really make a life decision at 14, I, I'd personally do you feel say. Like, um, do you feel like that was one of the uh, only small amount of things that you had control of in that religion? Um, I guess, yeah, I've never really thought about it that way before. But I guess so. And I mean, it was more 
I wouldn't say it was a matter of control at that time. It was it was like a it was a life choice really. It's it was sort of if you consider like if you were going to get married to somebody, how you'd sort of think through that. Um and th- I felt like there were certain things that you did have control over. There were certain sort of grey areas which sort of allowed you to come to your own decisions. So I kind of felt a sort of sense of freedom in certain areas at the time, which yeah. I didn't. I and I sort of focused on those more than the areas that were blocking me until I sort of began to realise that they were a lot bigger blockers than I'd perhaps recently previously considered. What type of grey areas would they be, Rachel? Like, um, what type of stuff would you have control of that the religion didn't expect you to behave like a certain way or do this or do that, if you don't mind going into that type of thing? Yeah, so they'd, they'd have sort of things which were sort of more basic rules. So, for example, not celebrating Christmas and things like that. But then they'd have other things which they referred to as conscious matters. So that would come to things like entertainment and roughly the way you dressed so um what you felt was comfortable um watching on tv or what music you listened to those sort of things were sort of up to you and um up until um it got to the point of getting closer to universities when i was at school i had sort of relative control as well of my life and sort of how i studied and you know they were sort of quite um strongly encouraged me to work hard at, at school so that sort of, you know, I was a bit of a nerd, so it meant that I could still um, get quite involved at school academically, not so much extracurricularly, but there were just sort of small things that allowed you to have a relatively normal life amongst a very not normal life. Because it's quite fascinating, really, that you were encouraged from uh, school to work hard and get the top grades you can, but not to go to university. Because for a lot of people, for, for the for most people, university is the pinnacle of all academic studies. So it's quite fascinating that they would encourage you to work hard, let's say, you know, GCSEs and A levels, but then not to pursue a degree. You know. Yeah, um, I think again, it was. A lot of the faith, it was a lot about of how you appear. So, um, sort of, you always said you represent Jehovah's name whenever you're out. So, being a good person outwardly and, you know, working hard when you're at school, when you're at work, sort of reflected well back at the religion right. and back at God. Okay. So, you were encouraged to work well. However, worship to God and the Bible was always number one and yeah. going to university was considered a distraction from that and okay. you should be in order to fully dedicate your life you should be dedicated to the religion not education not academic education yeah so what no. you're saying in other words is in the public eye you didn't really have your own identity your identity was just to be a worshipper of Jehovah's Witnesses and worship to God you never really had your own identity identity as an individual <laughs> Yeah, I think I think at the time I I would have disagreed and said, oh no, you know, I'm still able to express myself. But since leaving, I've I've really really understood myself much more. So I think when you're in the religion, you don't feel like that's the case. But stepping back, you you are you are the religion at that time. So, right. so you do dedicate your entire life to the religion. So it is you, the religion, and you are the same. So you don't have that separation of what's just you. Right, that's fascinating. You 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 mentioned worship just then so just for the listeners and the, for me as well because yeah. um what how how was you worship and what type of routine did the worship include 
So uh, twice a week, by um, sort of 2010s, you would go to a meeting, which is basically a religious service, where they would have talks, which were basically discourses from the Bible. Um, they'd also have question and answer sessions where they'd go through the publications that were produced by the witnesses and you'd study them and they'd have questions already written out in the publications and the answers were in the paragraphs that followed and you basically read out interpreted those answers and read from the bible and then another thing other than not celebrating christmas which everybody no chovers witnesses for is knocking on people's doors mm-hmm. and that was a very big part of your worship it was called the uh, the ministry or preaching work Did so, you knock on people's doors rachel yep yep every weekend from when i was well since i could remember um up until covid when i was able to leave um Every Saturday morning, that was always the big one, which you you would, yeah, unless you had a big excuse, people would sort of tuck behind your ears if you didn't show up to. Um, but then you're obviously encouraged to do as much preaching as you could. They had, they had arrangements every single day for you to go out and knock on people's doors and or stand by the carts, as you might see in sort of the cities and things. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was mainly meetings, um, ministry work and then you're also encouraged to study in your own time as well so to study the bible and study the bible as a family and do that at least once a week if not every day ideally did you ever get any abuse on the doors people being really horrible to you um swearing at you swear, swear, saying obscenities at you or were people generally quite polite i'd say Generally, people were just not interested, which was the ideal. But there were cases where that people were very abusive at the doors. And although they were the only handful of times, when you're knocking at the door, you don't know who's going to be on the other side. So you don't know if that's going to be the case or not. I have had people swear at me, shout at me down the street, threaten to call the police, not that they can, um, and say all sorts of horrible things and... You know, even things that perhaps on a moral level I agree with now, I would still never shout at somebody. It, no, of course not, of course not. When I was doing most of that, I was trying to do aiming for about fifty hours a month, and being and I was about seventeen at the time, and people screaming at you. It's like I say, it can only happen four or five times, but they really stick in your mind when you have an experience like that. And even though most days midweek in the mornings people are at work so you're often just knocking on an empty door those those events really did stick out in your mind because so, you were only a young girl while doing the door to doors so would you say that mentally scarred you slightly with all some mentally scarred you yeah it it definitely did at the time i could i could never go back to doing anything like that so even like canvassing for like work or something like that i don't mm. think i would ever feel comfortable going back to in, in some respects, it gave me confident, like confidence that I feel quite comfortable public speaking. But at the time, it I, I, I have anxiety anyway, so I would be sometimes shaking before I walked up to the doors. Particularly, you would sort of, when you, you cover sort of certain areas regularly and you sort yeah. of know certain streets where there'd be more people that were hostile or you know oh i knocked on that door a few months ago i know they were really not really unkind but i've still got to go and knock on this door because they haven't told us they don't want us to call so we still have to go and knock on that door um really and yeah that was that was always quite quite scary that, that's so did you that, you used to dread 
doing the knocking on the doors, Rachel? Did you just do, do you still did you used to like wake up and think, oh, I need to do this today, or like you said, did it kind of did you um did you look forward to it? No, like what was it? No, yeah, I definitely yeah really didn't like it. There were certain moments of it where it was a bit more fun. So because we were in North Wales, we would often yeah. um, go out right into the rural areas, sometimes into parts of Snowdonia. And oh. the drives into those places were very pretty and sort of seeing the farms. And often when you spoke Welsh to the farmers, that was often a very different experience because they're very yeah, happy yeah. to be able to speak Welsh because and that we were appreciating the language. So going out and speaking Welsh and things like that were often a bit more pleasant but even then i again i had sort of almost threats on farms and things like that it i generally say there was moments where it wasn't too bad but dread i generally dreaded it and particularly in the winter as well um sometimes we'd be out in a roast on sea so right by the ocean and in the middle of december when it's windy and cold and raining yeah that 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 was not fun (laughs) Was there any? Was any? Was there any occasion where you flat out refused to do it? You said to your parents, "I'm not doing it today." Or did you ever try and sort of rebel and say, "I don't want to do it. I refuse to do it"? Or did you just have to just suck it, suck it up, just do it anyway? Yeah, I, I definitely had to suck it up. I, I don't ever particularly remember flat out saying I don't want to, that. I wasn't going to do it. I remember. I used to get extremely nervous about return visits. So if mm. if somebody don't shown even a slight bit of interest, we would then go back and knock on them their doors. And that would give me even more anxiety because I'd be worried that, okay, I haven't arranged to do this. They don't know we're coming back. What if this, you know, freaks them out? Or what if it makes them really angry because we're sort of knocking on their door again? So I remember being terrified of doing that and I was still made to go and do it. I would still be made. So I didn't ever really try to say, no, I'm not doing it because I knew the that the reaction would be, yeah, you don't have a choice, you're doing this and not be very sort of pleasant. So the option was generally to just suck it up and keep going until I couldn't bear it really. Yeah, because a week ago or two weeks ago, I was back home in North Wales and um, a Jehovah knocked on my door and I opened it and he bought his um, little girl there yeah. and um, I, I found it quite fascinating. I mean, I was trying to have a bit of a, you know, you know, a bit of a joke and laugh with them. They said, uh, it was quite funny, they said, um, they were, the leaflet said something about, do you believe in live forever? And he asked yeah. me that. And I was a bit tired because I'd just woken up. So I sort of said a joke. I said, oh, I don't know. But I know Oasis had a song called Live Forever, didn't they? <laughs> and um, he didn't find it too funny. But uh, I noticed um, I noticed they when he brought his girl along. So would you say a lot of them bring children along with them to do door-to-door to, to uh, sort of... Um, there's not sort of guilt trip people on the door, but to try and to make them go easy, that they use the youth children, if that makes sense, to try and get people into the religion or for them to be more kind on the doors. Um, I think I think that's probably a bonus to them, but not the yeah, main yeah. reason behind it. So I remember, like I say, the unpleasant experiences I had were only when I was in my sort of teenage years to late teens. When I was younger, I didn't have that case because, of course, you don't want to scream at a little six-year-old. No, that, so, yeah, exactly. Um, I like I say, I think it does. It does sort of make people want to listen more. But I think the main reason is because they want you to get the beliefs into you from the very beginning, at as early an age. They've even sort of discussed about uh, singing their um, 
as well. They call them kingdom songs, but essentially sort of hymns, even when yeah. you're pregnant, for the baby to hear and from really? like very, very much day one to get them fully involved in the religion. So that's the main reason why they bring out the kids even knocking on doors is because they want from that very young age to get started and to get fully involved with it. So you could make the argument it's like intro- introduction in the yeah. early years, get them involved, get them understanding what they're doing. That's that's, yeah. that's quite interesting. That. So Rachel, um, you went to uh, was it a public primary school? You went to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah in, you went to a public primary school. So you get to the end of primary school, you think to yourself, oh, I'm going off to secondary school now. Were you quite excited to go to secondary school? Do you think it was going to be something different? Yeah, I was certainly, I remember being quite nervous. Um, obviously, it's a lot bigger school and lots of different people. But yeah, I was, I was definitely a mixture of excited, but but nervous at the same time. I was excited to feel a lot more grown up and um, but yeah, I was a bit nervous about how big it was. I think the main thing I was concerned about was just getting lost, to be honest, um, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. seems like the smallest thing you could be worried about, about going to high school. But um, but yeah, yeah, I remember did I quite you, enjoyed it. Did you ever wonder how people might perceive you being a Jehovah Witness? Did you ever worry about that? Um, I was fortunately, I, I feel very lucky growing up in school. I, I get the odd joke like, oh, knock, knock, who's there? Oh, it's a Jehovah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I get like a little, but I, I was quite lucky that I never, I would never say I got bullied or anything like that. Um, by the time I was actually in high school, there, was, there were even occasions where people would be able to stick up for me before I was able to. So, wow. Um, I remember there was like something to do with, with Christmas and then one of the particularly the people I went to primary school with is like, oh, Rachel can't do that. She should have his witness before I could even explain why I couldn't do something. So I was really lucky and I'm really appreciative of that because I had sort of friends that were bullied to the point where they had to leave school and had really horrible experiences where they were picked on really badly and yeah they had some pretty rough experiences so yeah like i say my my experience was was quite lucky really yeah i always i in school rachel i always thought that you like i said you didn't get anyone bullying you you had no one like i always thought like yeah it was grand there was no problems there as well so that was good as well yeah so um so you get to you do your first couple of years in secondary school and you're meeting all these new friends and you know it must be really good for you because you're thinking oh i've got a life here outside of jehovah uh, being a jehovah witness you know you're meeting friends but like you said they don't encourage you being friends with people that aren't jehovah witnesses do they no and i think that's when the doubts first started to creep in because growing up when you're a jehovah's witness you're sort of sort of pushed into a very small community of people your age because it's just if you're lucky we did have a few kids in my congregation some congregations particularly these days have one or two kids if that's it and you're not necessarily going to get on with them in the same way as when you're in high school you don't get on with every single person in your year you tend to find certain people within your year that you get on with so I didn't, I, there, I always had friends growing up, but not really close friends. And even in school, I'd sort of jump between different friendship groups. Um, but it was only sort of part way through high school that I started to get genuine friends that I felt close to and most importantly felt comfortable opening up to, which I, I was always very, very quiet as a kid. So it didn't really up, open up to many people that much. 
but I'd finally found sort of group of people like it felt that way and it was you know as it was like amazing at the time it's like oh I've got some real close friends but then I had the constant worry of well they're not Jehovah's Witnesses I'm not supposed to be hanging around with them too much and the other big fear that I had is they also teach that um that they, they teach about Armageddon and that that could happen at any moment in time um and at that time, only Jehovah's Witnesses will survive it. So I was thinking, these are great close friends that I feel genuinely close to. They might die tomorrow. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, that was that was a big panic. And it was like, at, the, at first, I was thinking, right, I've got to figure out the best way to preach to them so that they, they don't end up dying at Armageddon. So what you're saying is you kind of felt a duty to convert them into Jehovah's Witness, not because you want them in the religion, just so your friends wouldn't die, basically. Yeah, and obviously I did want them to, you know, genuinely be in the religion as well because it's, at the time it was, it was to share my beliefs. But I was, I remember praying to God a lot, like, please, uh-huh. I don't understand why they, I know they don't believe in you, but they're they're genuine people, they're kind people. I, I, I can't understand why they would die at Armageddon. Please help them to, what, 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 I, what I called the truth back then, see the truth. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But your 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 religion. So your religion generally teaches um, if you don't believe in God, um, you will automatically go to Armageddon, even though if you're a good person or not, it doesn't matter. Is that is that kind of what one of the basic principles to your religion? It doesn't matter if you're morally a good person. If you don't believe in God, you will go to Armageddon. It's yeah. It's what they sort of heavily teach and imply. Even though the Bible sort of suggests that at Armageddon, at the Rapture, or whatever, mm. so we believe that actually that is supposed to be a decision made by Jesus. I think I can't remember, but it's sort of that Jesus is basically like in a courtroom and he decides who's good and who's bad, um, right. which doesn't necessarily imply that they are all of the same faith. But the Jehovah's Witnesses believe the only way you can be truly good is by following their faith. Therefore, it's likely okay. at Armageddon, if you're not on their side, you're on the wrong side. I see, I see. So, um, Rachel, so we get we get up to like GCSE time and we get up to A-level time now. So uh, do you remember what GCSEs you did or uh, and what you did and how did, well did you do on them? Um, yes, yeah, so I did uh, graphics, history and um, art. I was also very much a swap as i said we were sort of encouraged to work hard so and i cared quite a bit about my education at that point um so i did a lot of sort of extra things i did um triple science so chemistry biology and physics separately and i remember being incredibly stressed during that time because um not only gcse's are really stressful anyway Mm. and i put an awful lot of pressure on myself but it's also when I first started to really question things sort of when I was just going into year 10 and at the beginning of that year as well, that's when my nan passed away. And um, yeah, my mental health took a real downturn at that time. And I, again, like I say, I didn't feel very confident speaking to many people. So I didn't really tell my parents what I was feeling. I was too sort of scared to tell them and and when yeah. you say parents, Rachel, sorry to interrupt, you mean your sister and her partner yeah. was it, or your actual parents? Yeah, yeah. Um, my sister and her partner, yeah, sorry. I, I kind of use that interchangeably. Ah, okay. It's okay. very oh, confusing. Oh, um, yeah, so yeah, they were they were my parents to me. Um, 
And yeah. Um, oh, where were we? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah, you're talking about yeah. your GCSEs and what you you how well you did in them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how because I was really struggling at the end, but I did turn out to do quite well. Um, I got 15 A's and two A stars by the end of it. That's um, <laughs> That's so, extraordinary. Yeah, I was I was quite pleased with that. Um, I did get one B as well, but that was for sociology, which was an extra one that I did on top. Um, well done. So, yeah, I had a lot of encouragement, obviously, to, to do my A-levels, to do sixth form. And that's what I wanted to do, really. I, I wasn't ready. I, I Although as incredibly stressed as I was during my GCSEs, it was partially due to everything that was going through my head at that time and my mental health that I knew I needed to deal with. But I didn't actually want to leave school at that time. I wanted to carry on and do my A-levels. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't allowed to do that. So that, yeah, became... One of did, the did, worst. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry. No, no carry on, carry on. <laughs> I'm saying, did your parents not see your potential, dude? Didn't they all have a look and be like, oh, "I tell you what, Rachel's actually quite intelligent here. Should we give a shot at A levels just see what it, what, it, what, what, how she would do?" Well, did, or did they not think it like that? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I think they did see my potential academically, and that's why they tried to discourage me because they could see right. She's doing. She did well at her GCSEs. If she keeps going, then teachers are going to push her for university and she's going to go to university and we don't want to do that. She'll she'll end up leaving the religion if she goes to university. Ironically, the very fact that they stopped me from doing my A-levels is a big push for me to realise this isn't right. This isn't what I want. This 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 I'm being forced to do something I don't want to do here and this, this feels yeah. wrong. So what um, you're saying was if they let you do A-levels and let you go to university, in theory, you might still be in the religion. If if they let if, if they let you choose sort of thing, in theory, I think I probably would have tried to stick it out longer for me, mm. um, rather than yeah, because it, it wasn't that wasn't a decision that I made at all. That was a decision that they made for me. Right. Um, okay. So it would have been easier to choose to be with the religion and to try to do both. I, I possibly still would have fallen away anyway because I was already doubting heavily at that point. Yeah. Um, but. I think my feelings towards it probably would have been quite different and it might have been a bit slower for me to leave if yeah, it felt more like my choice. Because mm. I know the Amish, um, which are very similar, they're, they're very similar in terms of Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they're a separate, you know, they, they, have, they have a separate community. Um, when the, when the men and women turn 18 they have like a year where they're allowed to leave Amish community and go live with not you know li live with the rest of society and then they can choose then either to stay with the rest of society or come back to the Amish lifestyle yeah unfortunately I probably would have quite enjoyed it if we had that option um yeah. but I mean it is like I say they don't have you know a commune and such or anything like that we still you know just lived locally and um, yeah. you know I went to public school and things so we weren't we were sort of, they, they often use the scripture is you live in, um, that Jesus said you're, you're in the world, but you're no part of the world. So right. you go you, to school, really. you go to work, but you don't live like everybody else does. Um, so you say, you, so you would say you coexist with the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you're not, you're not integrated in society like the rest. Yeah. Yeah. You sort of, yeah, All you right. coexist with society. You don't parts of it yeah i think that's a good All way of right. putting it when that's, a, very, that's quite fascinating when it um when it comes to um 
relate like obviously I don't know how it works with Jehovah Witness Rachel but do they do you marry in Jehovah Witnesses um yes you do but it can only be a part of like with with another Jehovah's Witness you can technically um marry outside of the religion but it's heavily looked down upon and you would what they call they'd say remove your privileges so um for example you know we're saying that we have question and answer discussions at our religious services for at least a long while until perhaps after you like six months or so after your marriage depend um they would say you're not allowed to speak up about that um and it depends on the congregation um in some congregations things like that is called sort of a reproval or like say um or they remove privileges you can something like that can happen and it can go um sort of under the radar and nobody notices in very in small sort of more close-knit congregations that can be very obvious that you're not Mm. sort of answering up in things and that can sort of encourage people to sort of step away from you a bit and sort of sort of shun you a little bit and like for example you might not get invited to as many sort of social things like that um so yeah yeah generally yeah. marriage inside the religion and no sex before marriage as well which... so they didn't encourage you to have boyfriends or anything like that no no that was no. very very not not on the table <laughs> yeah. um yeah, it's for not... the listeners, Rachel. Oh, uh, for, yeah. for the listeners, just could you describe how different a Jehovah's wedding ceremony would be to say a, a regular Christianity or a Catholicism ceremony? How is it different? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, so honestly, um, not massively different. So, all oh, right, you know, honestly, you know, when you'd have like a ceremony, you'd normally have the ceremony in the church. Yeah. We'd have it in our kingdom hall. So you'd still have it in the religious building. They would have um, sort of a service um, where they would sort of read from the Bible and sort of read passages in the same way that in Catholicism, you know, they'd they'd sort of have like a sermon or something. They would also have um, sort of a talk about the scriptures and what the Bible um, teaches about marriage. And then, of course, the wedding vows. And then you would have the reception afterwards. It might depend on the family they they tend to be quite uh, strict around alcohol, even though you were allowed to drink alcohol. You're not allowed to drink too much alcohol, so you're not allowed you to get, get drunk. drunk. Basically, that's yeah. yeah, it's a very confusing. Uh, yeah, which <laughs> is very different for everybody. So I, I've been to some Jehovah's Witness gatherings where they'd have no alcohol at all. I've been to some where you're yeah. limited to have exactly two drinks and no more, mm. and others where it's really? entirely up to you. So that's one of those things that's considered a conscience matter, and it's up to you to decide. Right. Um, um, so in a traditional wedding, would you have like, so like the groom has a best man and the bride would have bridesmaids. Is it like that in a Jehovah's wedding or not so much? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's certain things, again, to do with customs that they don't do. So, for example, you know, quite often at weddings, you'll throw a confetti or rice depending on your culture Mm. um they're against doing that at all because again that sort of has origins ironically wedding rings also have origins in uh roman paganism but they like to ignore that one um but um but yes so there's certain customs that they might not do and obviously it depends from culture to culture so, so what you're saying is, in terms of wedding, they sort of nitpick what they can choose, what they can't choose. If that makes sense, they pick. Yeah, these are okay, but then those aren't okay. So they nitpick. They choose what they want to follow. 
Um, I guess looking on the outside, it, it certainly feels like that way was like the wedding rings mm. because with everything, the way that they sort of teach things, wedding rings shouldn't be okay in the religion, but they, they are for some reason. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, I'd say weddings are actually one of the few things that are relatively sort of similar in the religion. Really. Right, okay. Is there a certain age you have to be married by, Rachel? <laughs> No, not at all. Like I say, they they encourage you. It sort of works two sides because they encourage you to take marriage very, very seriously, mm. and they're very sort of against divorce. And uh, literally, adultery is the only reason you can divorce. Um, so they encourage you to think about it, take it very seriously. However, sort of my experience has sort of been that it, there does seem to be a trend to get married quite young because dating as a Jehovah's Witness, is very stressful. And like I say, there's no sex before marriage and it's difficult to have sort of much sort of privacy or intimacy with your partner if you're just dating. So people right. do tend to get married quite young or quite quickly because it's like the main way that you can have, not necessarily, I don't think, always consciously either. It's just like, obviously, naturally, you, you do want to have sort of intimacy with a partner so you, you yeah, can kind of, of feel a sort of a strong urge to get married quite young in order to have sort of have that with them. So you um, say um, you say that the only reason for divorce is adultery. Yeah. So you're so you're saying if uh, the man or the woman brought up issues of, say, abuse or mistreatment, that would be just classes, you know, you can't get a divorce because of that. Yeah, so the official rules are that you'd be allowed to separate, but not officially divorce. And if you did divorce, again, that's not the sort of thing where you get kicked out of the religion. But again, it's where you sort of get sort of shunned a bit. You weren't, wouldn't, like I say, you wouldn't be able to speak up in religious meetings or, like I say, quite often socially, you get sort of shunned quite a bit as a result. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that is like one of the big things that's quite a bother that even abuse isn't, isn't classed. Yeah, it's quite, yeah. quite um, not very good, really. I'd say it's quite no. prehistoric. Um, so the listeners, Rachel, you keep using the term shun. What what does shun mean, if you don't? Oh, yeah, sorry. I can say, again, there's a lot of terms that I've sort of just grown up with and I sometimes I forget to explain. Ah, you're grand, don't worry. <laughs> so sort of shunning, basically, it's sort of socially isolating you. So, right. for example, somebody that... Um, that gets kicked out of the religion is basically called disfellowshipped. Or if you specifically say yourself that you don't want to have anything to do with religion, you, it's called disassociation. And right. when that happens, every witness is encouraged to have absolutely no contact with you. Um, so they'll stop talking to you, they'll stop messaging you, and obviously you won't get invited to any social events. And sort of, there's when you sort of like lose privileges, you almost get a sort of a form of soft shunning. So people will still talk to you and message you, but you might not get invited to as many sort of social events as you did before. You might notice that they don't talk to you as much or as friendly yeah. or as openly, or they're a bit sort of they sort of take a step back from you. And um, how how long would the shunning? Is it they shun you to a certain period, or is it just what you shunned? You shunned, if that makes sense. So um, they will they not really speak to you for a month? Or once you've been shunned, you're, you're then they'll never really speak to you ever again. So it's dependent on repentance and right. 
that's uh, considered by so you know most religions um, or, you know you might have a pastor or a yeah um, they don't have like vicars or pastors they have a group of elders which manage right. the congregation and sort of look after it and they're sort of if you've got you know if you're going to basically go for a confession or something like that I suppose an equivalent in Catholicism you'd go to the elders and you'd basically after a while you'd have a meeting of the elders and then after that meeting they would then decide whether they believe you are repentant or not and that's sort of when they sort of when they agree that you're repentant that you'd either no longer be disfellowshipped or you'd come back from being disassociated or um that would be like sort of when you get your privileges back and when you start answering up like say that becomes then obvious to other people that you're sort of allowed back in properly What's the criteria to uh, for a pendant? If you don't mind me asking, what what would you say would be the criteria? So yeah, it's it's a bit vague, and because of that, I've seen different experiences between different people in different congregations. Basically, right. it's supposed to mean when you're truly, truly sorry. So mm. not just saying you're sorry, but genuinely, you would never do something like that again, and you know, genuine and. Like I say, putting criteria on that is actually really, really difficult because you can't get inside somebody else's mind. These are just right. these are just different men that have grown up in this con- that are part of this congregation. They're not therapists. They're not psychologists. No, they they personally believe that it's they'll they'll pray afterwards and then they believe it will be the hand of God that guides them to whether they feel that they're repentant or not. Which is not the case yeah. because I was in one of those meetings uh, myself once. I wasn't repentant. I knew I just lied my entire way through it and they felt like I was truly repentant afterwards and they let me off even though I wasn't and I just, just find it funny. <laughs> so if you don't mind going into if you don't mind going into it, I it, of course it's personal, you don't have to. Yeah. What were you in the meeting for, Rachel, if you if you don't mind us ask, ask, asking the question answering the question? Yeah, so it was quite personal, um, which it's it's things that you should never have to really be forced to talk about in front of anybody, never mind a group of men in their 50s and older. Um, mm. But basically, it was just because I was in a relationship, which I was no longer in at that time. Um, but I started another relationship at that time, and I felt like I had to be honest with them in order to carry on with the relationship. Yeah. And they they basically made me, made me go into that meeting and made me go to speak to them, even though I didn't regret anything that happened. Um, I was sort of made to, to, to speak about it. So you that's ter- you terrible, really. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you must have, every time going into these meetings, for, for you wanting just to have a relationship, like yeah. a, this normal relationship, that must have been pushing you and pushing you away so much further going into those meetings. Yeah, I mean, mentally, I was fully out of it at that point. Like I say, I, I just lied my way through it. And like I, I fake cried and things and used the emotional strengths to get my way through it. Um because I sort of knew how it worked at that point, but I'd still say it was probably the hot, most, one of the worst experiences of my life. Not so much the meeting itself, but the fact that I was forced to basically speak out about it. And it also meant I hadn't told my parents about it and speaking it to them. And I, I don't think my family relationship ever recovered from it because even though yeah. it was something that I'd done, it was something that I consented to do. It was something that was just meant to be something. It was, it was, about me and I was sort of forced to speak out about it and it understandably it, well understandably and not so, understandably it, it destroyed my family really our relationship so what you're saying is Rachel that 
because really at, at the end of the day your that relationship had nothing to do with them if that makes no. sense it's got nothing to do with them but yet you feel like you have to disclose and explain why you're in that relationship and how sorry you are it sounds like a breach previously to me personally yeah i don't know how you feel but Although, like I say, very understandably, if you've lied to your parents, that is a big thing. Um, Mm. And that, you know, it was, you know, betraying their trust and things. So obviously it was understandable, but I was sort of forced to say, and I had to say it to them sort of very quickly. It wasn't sort of in my own time or on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, there's a chunk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, did you say that broke up your family? So what what do you mean when you say that, Rachel? So it it really sort of hurt my parents, obviously, like I say, the fact that I'd lied to them, the fact that I'd gone behind their backs and the fact that I'd been in this relationship. So it hurt them really, really badly. And me and my sister are always, you know, as close as best friends growing up. Um, people would often make the joke, have you ever seen Gilmore Girls? That was often, uh, no. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, yeah, <laughs> it's very sort of uh, twee sort of American uh, show. But the relationship between the main girl, Rory, and her mum was very similar to the relationship between me and my sister. We were very, really? very close. And yeah, and it, it you know, it, it really, really hurt both of my parents really badly. And so we weren't as close after that and we've never been close since because it it was only sort of a year after that that i that i was able to actually leave the religion so yeah and what age was it rachel you actually left officially so i was 21 21 so two years ago now all right oh sorry 22 22 was a year ago (laughs) i I forget (laughs) how old i am sometimes (laughs) rachel from the ages of 16 when you left school to Mm. the when you left the jehovah witnesses what were you up to in those years so um when i left school i went to um i say i couldn't wasn't allowed to do my level so i went to college instead um started off doing an art course which i hated (laughs) and then moved to doing an it course which is what i'm still doing sort of into now um i only did a year of that until i felt at the time that um that i should try because you know at that point it's like well I, I can't do my academic journey that I wanted to, so I may as well stick with the religion and the religious journey. And so I thought I'd try and pioneer. And what pioneering in the religion is, is basically like a program of where you do at least either 50 hours a month of preaching, which is auxiliary pioneering, or 70 hours a month of, pioneer, of preaching, which is regular pioneering. So I thought I'd try the auxiliary pioneering, the 50 hours of preaching a month. I got through the first month okay this was again when i was in college and every month after that it got worse and worse particularly through the winter it was it was so horrible that's when i was doing the most preaching um and i just hated it and like my parents were very sort of not happy with the idea of me quitting so i kept with it for a year but it, it just got to the point where yeah it was not gonna happen so i stopped um but then I was able to uh, get a job uh, where I'm currently at now, initially doing admin work um, part time, which initially was to sort of carry on sort of preaching and things, um, which sort of faded out. And then, um, but of course, in that time, you know, it, it never really gone the fact that I wanted to really go to university and um, I'd 
got this job partway through college. He ended up only doing one year of college. So he didn't even have a full set of A-levels. They only had the equivalent of an A-level and a half. So AS level, was it the sort of thing? Yeah, so it was um, it was a BTEC course in IT. So uh, it was yeah. equivalent to 90 credits. So like oh, half right. what you need for university. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I couldn't even just go straight into a university if I wanted to. I, I had to sort of get those credits somehow. And yeah, so I, I was in this job. I hated the job at the time. It was incredibly mm. boring. And I wasn't really doing anything that I wanted to. And meanwhile, I was aware of everybody else that I've been to school with. Wasn't your passion? No, not at all. It's far from it. <laughs> um, entering data into a spreadsheet all day. As much as I'm a massive Excel nerd now, back then, <laughs> there's a difference between writing formulas and data entry. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. But, um, yeah, it was really not what I wanted to do. And deep down, I wanted to go to university. But... I knew I couldn't, and I knew there was no way of convincing my parents for me to be able to go. Um, so I sort of did some research. I sort of was like, oh, you know, just hypothetically, if I could go to university, where would I want to go? And I knew what sort of physical university I wanted to go to. But I started looking, it's like, oh, I wonder what sort of courses I can do from home. And that's when I came across the Open University. Mm. And they allow you to do study part-time and put it around your job. So... I thought to myself, well, I wouldn't physically be going to university, which means I wouldn't be taking spending time around people that aren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. I might have a better chance of convincing them of doing this. Um, and so I mentioned it to them. It didn't go down the best, but I sort of kept it in my mind for about a year or two. And after about a year and a half of sort of mentioning it, I finally got them to come around to letting me do it. So I was finally really? able to start my, like, at, I think it was 19 at the time, finally able yeah. to start studying for my degree um, without, with only an A-level of a half, so not even full A-levels. That's really uh, good. That's very, yeah. that's very good. What um, what degree were you doing, if you don't mind me asking, Rachel? So because it's part-time, it's still the degree I'm studying for now. It's in a uh, oh, right. uh, Bachelor of Science in uh, IT and Design. So fantastic. So what is yeah. it what is it you like about the, the degree, Rachel? Um so I've always liked both creative and sort of technical um things. Sort of in high school, my favorite subjects were art and maths, so kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. So I've always sort of when I've thought about what I want to do as a career, like struggled between thinking about something technical and something creative and this is just seemed like the perfect degree really it has both sides it has the technical it side and it has the creative design side and you know that's sort of the way i want to go with my career is yeah a bit of both really oh that's good so as you say that brings us up to you say you were 22 when you left your Jehovah witness was it yeah yeah so how did you go about actually leaving and what was that process like so I was one, probably one of the very few people that was actually very appreciative of COVID <laughs> because it was a lot to down to COVID that sort of really helped me leave. So yeah. when COVID hit, it's kind of uh, it was remarkable. It was before, it was actually before a lot of events and things started closing that they said, right, we're not going out knocking on people's doors. We're not standing out public. We're going, we're going inside. So I didn't have to go out preaching anymore and Oh, I remember the relief. I was like, oh, my word, I don't have to go out knocking on people's doors. This is amazing. And all of our religious services went online onto Zoom, as, as many things did. Um, 
so that sort of it was sort of going on the line that made things sort of easier to sort of fade out when you're physically going somewhere people are very aware that you're there and they'll see you walk in they'll see you walk out Whereas being on the Zoom meetings, you could turn your camera off, go about your day doing whatever, mm. and then come back to it. Um, I sort of stuck with it. I was in a, another relationship at the time and sort of stuck with it for them, but things sort of didn't work out. And when I left that relationship, it yeah. was just me on my own then, and it was down to my own decision. Um, yeah. And the other thing that was sort of key to me leaving was being able to move out from home. Um, because being in the same uh, house as my parents was obviously caused issues. They would not be happy with me living there and not following by their beliefs. So if I did say that I wanted to leave, I would have ended up homeless. So I had to be able to be out on my own feet before I could figure things out to be able to leave properly. So as soon as I was able to, so basically as soon as I came off furlough, I, my wages had gone up and I was just about, I had just about enough to afford um, to move out some of like most like sort of quite low cost rent, which sadly you don't see much of at the moment with everything going up. But at the time it was just, yeah, it was September, 2020. So it's before the sort of financial impact has started hitting everything. And I had enough, so I had quite a bit of savings as well from COVID from not going anywhere. So I was able to move out. And over the course of that year, I sort of slowly, it's what they call it um, when you leave, it's called fading. Right. So you sort of fade out of the religion. So gradually I sort of stop answering up at meetings. Then I sort of be a bit quieter. Then I start turning off my camera. And then I'd start dropping off one or two meetings. I'd start dropping off all meetings until I wasn't going at all. So you kind of slowly eat your way out because what you have to be wary of, if you just say no, that counts as what I was saying before about disassociation. Mm -hmm. And that means that everybody has to shun you there and then. Um, They have to not have anything to do with you when it's announced at the meeting saying such and such is no longer a Jehovah's Witness. And as soon as they hear that, you're completely cut off. However, so you can't just leave abruptly, like say, sorry guys, I'm going, it's not for me. Yeah. Because they'll just, they'll just cut you out. You need to slowly sort of fade away from yeah. the religion. Yeah, because even though, I mean, even now they still heavily encourage you not to talk to them. It's It kind of makes it up to people's own choice. So yeah. if I sort of faded out, if people wanted to shun me, they could. But they also didn't have to. They weren't forced to. It was it was sort of their decision, even though it's sort of you know. But they get influenced by yeah. They get yeah. influenced by the religion. But it's still I, yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I was going to say it still gave them a sort of an element of choice. So they didn't. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to feel like they had to cut me off. It, it, they no. they had that choice if they wanted it. Yeah. So how did the pandemic generally affect uh, Jehovah's Witness, and what was their sort of take on the uh, pandemic? Did they believe? more of the science side of it or they believe it was an act of god what did what was their sort of um opinion of, on the matter so because they believe that we're getting close we're basically on the doorstep of armageddon they believe that we're living in what the bible says is the last days so right. everything towards the end of the world is armageddon is supposed to get really really bad so they they use things like climate change like natural disasters um is all sort of signs of the last days. So COVID was another thing. They thought okay. um, you might you might be willing, um, familiar with the 
the four horsemen and you know you have yes, you have yes. death four you have famine yeah exactly and they're supposed, supposed to be you know everything that comes along towards the apocalypse so they kind of view this as like that run up into the final moment so everything that those horses represent sort of happens a lot so obviously right. pestilence okay. is one of them covid falls under that so they believed mm-hmm. it was sort of a sign um many people thought kind of it's a bit of a misconception that they believe that they're anti-vax they're not yeah. the only um medical thing that Jehovah's witnesses are against are blood transfusions yeah um, and anything to do with them which is where you know a lot of the common things of you let your children die come from because they refuse blood transfusions even if it's for your child i um, see why sorry. why don't they buy you blood transfusion <laughs> sorry it's okay sorry. No um no, it's fine basically there's a scripture in the bible which says that um you should ab- you should abstain from blood so keep away right. from it entirely so they okay. um, that it's that it represents life um so you should never take in somebody else's blood it's supposed to be yours it's, again i can't remember where the scripture is but it says if something about if if blood is lost it should be poured out upon the ground it shouldn't be sort of consumed in any way um, but yet they might believe in say kidney transplant. Yeah, yeah. It, every blood in. Yeah, every, everything else sort of medical is sort of entirely up, yeah. again. Again, that's a conscience matter. It's entirely up to you. It's just, it's just sort of the blood. Do you see the like contradiction it has? If that makes sense. Like, yeah. So. Like, you know? Yeah, there are some Jehovah's Witnesses that won't have transplants and things because right. they worry about okay. the, the fact about blood sort of passing through. Um, yeah, again, that's that's an individual thing. Um, I've, I've even heard of some that won't eat steak because they're worried about it. But really, yeah. That, but that's that was a very like specific case. I heard of that. It's, so, so they're, veg- they're vegetarian then, or they just won't eat steak? Um, I think no. It was just that steak. They were just worried about because obviously, if you have the steak rare, there might still be a bit of sort of blood in it, and they'd sort of worry. Right. Okay. Um, but like I said, that was only one case. Most most of my, like I say, I, I knew right. I knew witnesses that were vegan pescatarian vegetarian it that again that's yeah. something that was entirely up to you was so there um, really about diets then they, they don't you don't have a strict sort of diet you can just eat whatever you want sort of thing well again there's like i say that again they're conscious about how you represent god and there's that scriptures that says that your body is a temple so it, it, it's entirely up to you but they do you know encourage you to be quite health conscious and things and uh, they often put out articles in their magazines about staying healthy and eating healthy right. and things like that that's fascinating. Right. Was there um was there official date when you actually left, Rachel? Did you have to like sign anything or anything like that? Or because I I didn't disassociate myself. There wasn't a specific day, but personally, I I count the days I told when I told my parents because that was you know the final thing. Like when they knew, basically everybody would know, and that was they were the main people that that needed to know as well more than anyone to say yeah were, were you dreading that day how what, yeah. how did you prepare yourself for that day what do you think was going to happen and what actually happened um it just it just came to a point where it felt ready and i felt it felt like it was right it, there wasn't anything particularly special about that day in particular there was just a couple of conversations where i had with them where it sort of hinted towards how i was feeling um, they were also getting obviously noticing the fact that I wasn't at the meetings as often and things so it sort of gradually crept up to that point and there sort of becomes the point where it's okay it's now or never if I keep delaying it it's never going to happen it needs to happen at some point mm-hmm. and yeah so you sort of ease into it but waiting to sort of give the final blow so to speak 
what was their reaction when you told them properly when you said i i don't want to be part of the religion anymore it it was very rough um obviously they were expecting it at that point they i sort of expressed my doubts several times over the years and they could kind of tell i was going in that direction for a while i think um but particularly at that point um and they said a few things which you know i understand why they said those things particularly from their face but they were very very hurtful um yeah i I don't know whether i should say them on this podcast or not but it's up to you whatever you feel comfortable doing rachel we're not going to force you or anything it's entirely up to you yeah like i say as long as no names or anything are mentioned but yeah those sort of things they, they basically said that they considered it that i have cancer and i'm choosing not to get treatment Jesus, that's quite a... Oh, that's, that's uh, hard. Yeah. That's quite that's a hard thing to for their child, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, and obviously I, I knew how much all of this would... I'd, I'd already hurt them very, very badly. Yeah. And this was going yeah. to hurt them even more, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's... Yeah, that yeah. was, was so the main thing. What was your reaction uh, when, when they said that, Rachel? Were you just flabbergasted or...? I... <laughs> I'd had many conversations with them in the past, which had gone ended up quite toxic. I, 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 I admittedly would get quite argumentative at times in the past. At that point, though, I just tried to keep myself as calm as I could because, I, again, at that point, I'd made my decision. It was, it was about them, and I kind of wanted them to just get out whatever they sort of had to say and felt they had to say at that point. Um, so, I just sort of kept as as calm as I could. I didn't I don't remember saying an awful lot. I remember the things that I did try to say got shut down very quickly. So I just sort of let them let them speak. And Yeah, yeah. So um it was in a way I know you're angry, but do you did you just feel sorry for them as well, in a way, that they genuinely think that the way they do when they said that to you, like that they're so brainwashed that they had to say something like that. Hmm. It's difficult because it's not the case because they are intelligent people. They are in yeah. in their own right and things. So it, it it's I still sort of struggle with it. I just yeah, it's it's just hard because I I knew this was gonna how they were gonna react for a long time. Um, not necessarily the words that they they'd use, which were quite harsh, but I, I knew it was sort of how they were gonna react. So it was. It was sort of expected at that point, so it wasn't like a massive yeah. shock, like that they sort of treat me like this. Um, it, I don't know. It was just, it, it's never nice having your parents say things like that to you. It's, no, it's never going to be not. nice. It's, it's always going to really hurt. And the other thing is as well is like I knew I wasn't best at it and best words, but I was trying as best as I can to be mm. respectful in the situation. Yeah, and my words trying to show respect whenever I was trying to show them respect, my sister just said that I was being patronizing. Right. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't even try to say anything respectful. I couldn't say anything disrespectful. I couldn't say anything. I, I couldn't say anything. I was just, I was just stuck at that point. And yeah. And I've yeah, yeah. not had a conversation yeah, with yeah. since. So it, it, it was just rough. <laughs> 
Yeah. If you don't mind answering uh, this question, Rachel, yeah. how is the relationship with your parents now? Is it amicable or are you, is it still a bit toxic? Or what it's, would the relationship now be like? It's, yeah, I'm... If I ever send them a message, I might get a one text response back. It's no. they're, they're basically quite absent these days. They like said they're, they're they are, as I said sort of before, sort of shunning me. So not particularly talking to me. If there was a family emergency or something, they would get in touch. Um, yeah. But but yeah, they don't they don't particularly talk to me um, at all. Um, do you think Rachel? Um, that, do you think they? are remorseful for the what things they said to you and how they acted to you or are they just so far into being a jehovah witness now they wouldn't even think of that i don't think they've done anything wrong no i don't think they feel remorse i think i think they mainly probably feel hurt by me um mm. i think that's probably the main thing they feel which i you know i have hurt them i have um yeah but they've hurt you as well yeah that's yeah, what i remember yeah. that. but i you know, know they, I feel like they they probably feel like they're doing the right thing because the religion sort of teaches that this is the right thing to do and if somebody leaves this is the best way for them to come back basically is by cutting them off completely so they probably I'd, I'd like to think that they miss me um, but yeah it's they, they'll, they'll think that this, must this be is so right hard for you Rachel it must be so very, hard for you. yeah your family won't want to speak to you but I suppose that comes back to the argument of even though what they're doing is immoral, but in terms in the eyes of the religion, it's the right thing to do. So it's back yeah. to that um, argument we were saying earlier about morals versus the religion itself. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it must be quite, um, it must be quite a turbulent time for you, especially you know a few months afterwards. You have to sort of heal from that sort of thing. Would you say it was quite turbulent a bit? Mm. Were you hoping for a relationship with your parents after you left the religion? Well, this is where it I it got I was quite surprised at how I felt because I was fully expecting to be, you know, understandably after that in a really dark place after that. Um and quite rough. But actually the biggest thing that stood out to me was the sense of relief that mm. this is something that I'd been basically hiding under for seven years, trying to follow along with, even though I disagreed with it. Yeah. And sort of been kept under wraps and getting it out meant I was finally free, free and I was finally free, yeah, yeah, free to be myself so although the situation with my parents made me horrible and understandably I, I cried and it, it was hard the immense relief I felt and that sense of freedom I've I've never been the same since they say mm. I like my confidence was suddenly a million times what it was before and I truly I was, I was free to just be myself I didn't yeah. have this whole weight on my shoulders of of the religion of living up to it living up to its standards living up to the rules and and sort of keeping this under wraps and constantly worrying about what I was letting out what I was what impression I was giving I was just free it was just all gone in that one moment and I could just be myself and just I say just be free and yeah i think and it's just my mental health ever since it's been dramatically different so since you've been liber liberated you kind of feel much more free and happy to go about about acting as an individual again you're acting like yourself being whoever yeah. you know you want to be is that how you kind of feel now you have your own identity yeah i, I could say though like i could say the, the situation itself was horrible like i could say mm. worst one of the worst experiences of my life 
this past year being out of it has probably been the best year of my entire life just good to hear yeah i've just i've had amazing experiences i've been to two and a bit different countries this year if not that that's something that religion wouldn't let me do but just the fact that i felt just the fact that i felt the confidence i, I went to italy yeah. two weeks on my own yeah. i would never have dreamed of doing that two years ago i would think i'll be so overwhelmed at the thought but i felt comfortable doing that and yeah just yeah going out places and going for nights out i love i love a good night out sort of and like living your life really and just being yeah. yourself sort of thing. yeah just being a normal woman in her early 20s really yeah and because you were out living by yourself now especially that's probably gave you the confidence that you are independent and you're in control of your own life as well and therefore that gave you the confidence to be like okay yeah i can go to italy i can do this i'm, do, I'm yeah. doing this by myself now yeah and it, it sort of gave me the confidence to be able to leave as well because i was financially independent and you know physically independent i wasn't under my parents roof and yeah, yeah, it's 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 on my own back. It's it's my choice, which I'm very lucky to have that position. So you are you've now become an independent young woman, free to free to have your own thought and opinions. Is that how it kind of feels? Yeah, yeah, and I could I can make my own decisions on my beliefs, to how I dress. To mm. um, that was one one of the things that I did quite early on is because although fashion is entirely sort of brought up to you, they are quite strict if you ever sort of wore a skirt that was above your knees that was sort yeah. of highly discouraged one of the first things i did was go out and buy a mini skirt <laughs> even though, <laughs> even though wow. i don't really wear them on their own that's i i that's just I, I love yeah, the, i love them with tights <laughs> um, yeah. and i'll have like seven mini skirts that i love wearing in autumn <laughs> just because it was something i couldn't wear before. <laughs> that's really good to hear that is <laughs> um yeah um that and i wanted to go on a proper night out and sort of have a lot to well uh, a reasonable amount to drink let's say <laughs> um, uh, yeah and yeah and you know got a christmas tree for the first time and put up yeah, the lights really? and made yeah, the house you... little cozy and uh, yeah to celebrate oh, my first birthday <laughs> so yeah how, how was your first christmas rachel how how was it did you really, really enjoy it how what was it like it it was it was strange because there were so many things that I got to try that I hadn't been able to for all these years and just things like um, to go out with people from work for a nice Christmas meal and sort yeah, of a nice yeah. sort of social time with them, which I hadn't had an opportunity b- before. And I, I love Christmas lights. Um, that was something I'd always secretly liked when I was a kid as well. As much yeah. as like the things about like the presents and stuff like that, I was never that fussed about. Oh. But I always liked the idea of having Christmas lights in a Christmas tree. So that was quite exciting. However, Christmas Day was a little bit strange because obviously a big part of Christmas is about being around family. Mm. And even though like, I didn't celebrate Christmas at that time of year, everybody was always off from work. So we'd always still be together as a family and we still have lots of nice food in. I, yeah. Although we didn't celebrate Christmas, I still have a lot of happy memories around that time of year. And that, that was one of the first times that I was unexpectedly sort of felt like oh, this is it's this is missing that i'd normally be spending time with my my parents and yeah. things at that time of year and i wasn't um so yeah that was a bit difficult but but yeah otherwise like sort of just enjoying sort of things and like i say getting to i've basically 
sort of created my own family, but also managed to get in touch mm. with other members of my family that I had lost touch with because of the religion. Um, yeah, because they, they left the religion, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I hadn't had contact with them because of that. And I have now been able to get in contact with both of my brothers and it's you know gotten really close and unsurprisingly because obviously we have a lot in common so yeah i've been able to sort of recreate my family in a in a on the other side if that makes sense through through my brothers and their fa- and family and things so. and how does it feel to now reconnect back with your um, brothers is it kind of you kind of feel quite happy and glad that you've got to meet your brothers because i imagine growing up when you were in the religion you didn't have a lot to do with them when they uh, dissociated or left but is it good to now reconnect as a family yeah because it's it's genuine family as well that you know i'm myself with and i say i was i was you know out with my brother and his family today and it's yeah it's 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 great because particularly as well i i was i didn't have their phone numbers or anything like that when i first left i thought great it's just me on my own now I'm going to be completely alone. I don't have any family. Um, so when my brother was able to find me on Instagram, I was just like, that sort of changed everything. I was like, I'm no longer completely on my own. I do have family. I have family that I can rely on, family that are local even. So, yeah, it was a really big thing. And your brother, is your brother a Jehovah Witness? Um, no, neither of my brothers are. So I've got two sisters and two brothers. My two sisters are, my two brothers aren't. So it's... Oh, Okay. Yeah. So you kind of felt like you were no longer isolated or like an island. You you were now part of this new sort of family. Yeah, yeah, and well, yeah, new family and old family because, like I say, they were they were there when I was really little. But obviously, there's yeah. there's a big age gap between me and my siblings, so they'd also yeah. sort of grown up and moved out by that time. But yeah, now it's sort of reconnected, and it and it feels like like genuine family. That's good to hear. That's very good to hear. So. Um, We've talked about now we about the religion and how you feel now you're out the religion. Um, in your opinion, Rachel, if you don't mind giving me your opinion, where do you see the Jehovah Witness religion going, and what what type of uh, way do you see it incorporated into modern society? Like, where do you think it'll be in the future? Do you think it'll still be a religion, or what do you think about it? It's difficult in. COVID, it was one of the very first, I think, I don't know, it was 20 years or so, it was one of the very first time that the total number of Jehovah's Witnesses went down. And right. I think a lot of people, you know, like with the rise of the internet and things getting much more accessible, like information outside of the religion, people are sort of hoping that it will go down and sort of shrink. I, I don't know if it will ever fully disappear or not, or it would take something very dramatic for that to happen just because of the way that the sort of, I suppose you could say indoctrination works and how deep it is and the certain things that it plays on, like, you know, your family and life and things like that. It, it can run very deep within you and it can be very hard to, you you can't really convince somebody to leave. It has to be something that comes from them. It, it can make it very hard to leave and, you've just got to you know if that clicks to somebody the right way they will sort of stick by it so yeah it's it's strange i can see it dissipating and i think that would be possibly the ideal i mean the the best ideal would be that it's changing and that people are able to practice their beliefs more freely but it's i think it's a case of either it it goes or it stays and i think it i think it could honestly go either way it I'd like to think that it would, with more information out there, that it would die down, but I'm really not sure. Yeah, 
yeah see it's how i see life and how i see how think my opinion is everyone is entitled to their own opinion on anything it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's religion or anything like that yeah. but you shouldn't force your opinion or your religion on anyone that doesn't want to have that information if you know what i mean yeah definitely it's it's supposed to be a personal thing and it should be a personal thing it should be your choice because like you say when when it comes to things like religion and belief it it's how you feel about really big things so things like deaths perhaps even what you judge your morals on what you judge your future on your sort of way in life it's it is a big thing to to many people so it should be something that comes from you it shouldn't be pushed on you in any way yeah exactly question rachel i'm i'm quite fascinating fascinated how um in terms they recruit people um would you say arguably when they recruit people generally is it when people are in sort of in their own lives in a crisis so i thought for example there might be a recovering drug or alcoholic addict they may have just lost a job or going through depression is that when people are say vulnerable is that when they um is that where the highest recruiting number comes from they get people who are not safe, quite vulnerable in their lives, and then they use those sort of people, and because they're searching for something to belong to, they then find the religion, and that's how they get the um, get the followers. Would you say is that how they would get the highest amount of followers? I yeah, I certainly think that's very common. I think I don't think mm. people are necessarily like, oh, this person's depressed, we can get them. No, no, no. But I think it is that is probably the most common situation where people do come into the religion because let's say you know you just lost your mum she just passed away and somebody knocks on your door and then tells you oh you know you can be able to see her again one day yeah and or if you're unwell and your mental health you know there's going to be a day where all of that's gone or you'll be able to walk again and or if you're feeling lonely or particularly in those times you're depressed you're feeling isolated the fact that they bring you a sense of community at that time and sort of friendship and you know, a lot of, although the beliefs themselves are not very kind, there are a lot of Jehovah's mm. Witnesses that are kind individuals. So they yeah. will be sort of nice to you personally. So that can, yeah, when people are vulnerable and they are low, there's a lot of those things are a very big appeal. And, you know, like I say, they can give them hope at that point and sort of direction. You say not even with Jehovah's Witnesses, you hear several accounts of people that, you know, get you know struggle with with addictions or end up in prison and decide to go down some form of religion as a way of sort of recovery absolutely absolutely because I kind of feel that, that that's how they do it because, um, you know, the, your life isn't going that well. Yeah. Say, for example, it could be a range of things, you know, you lost your parent, you split from your girlfriend or wife or mm. husband, you've lost, you know, you've lost your job mentally, you're not really there and you need some sort of comfort. And then if you don't have a supportive ne- network, say you don't have a, you know, group of friends or, you know, don't have family, they are like the surrogate to that, you know, they are the surrogate to that sort of network. And that's how I, how I kind of vision and not, obviously they don't actively go out looking for that, as you said, but that's how they, that's how, that's where, why a lot of people go to the religion because I've now got this networking community for the people who care about me and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And when you sort of look like it, of course, that is the way it's going to be. They knock on every single person's door that they can. And on those doors, there's bound to be hundreds of people in those situations. Not all of them will listen to it, but some people will and decide that's that's the way for them. So it's, it's you know, quite understandably, that is how it often works out. Because I've had, you know, I've said, I've had a few Jehovah's knock on my door. And I remember one saying, 
do you want to do you believe in living forever and i and i I thought it was a bit of a not a weird thing to say but Mm. a bit of a sort of bizarre thing to say because it's kind of feels like if i had a say a phobia of death Mm. or if i was dying i might not be quite appealing to me you know if that makes sense you know um because generally i don't think if you think of it like a religion like say catholicism uh, judaism or christian or other christianity religion islam they don't really recruit that way you know you go to them but they come to you so yeah no it's just i find the um, actual marketing towards the leaflets and the phrasing they leave on the doorstep quite fascinating yeah yeah sense. i remember i had a leaflet and they said on a where do you want to spend eternity yeah and that's kind of semi-threatening you to, to take up jehovah be a jehovah yeah. witness like i say i don't think necessarily the individuals knocking on your door feel that way but i do no. say in that think that the writers oh the writers definitely use a lot of sort of manipulative language in their texts it's like a bit I say, like propaganda you know it's yeah it's it. it's very similar to propaganda like i say they they do like in in the writing they do play on people's emotions a lot they play on things like death and health and Quite often, if you don't hear them saying about everlasting life, they'll talk to you about suffering and about the suffering you see in the world. So quite often when we go out preaching, we'd be encouraged to think about what's been on the news recently. So, for example, at the moment, we might be mentioning the cost of living crisis. They'd Mm. be like, would you want to live in a world where you don't have to worry about money? Or they would think about Ukraine, which what's how do you feel about war? Would you like to live in a world where there's no more war or be a part of a group that you know is against you know those they they, they do tend to play on sort of common things yeah, that are going we, on in people's yeah. minds a lot because it's quite ironic really because you said to me you're not allowed to vote or anything yeah office of power um could you explain to the listeners why you're not allowed to vote yes yeah, so jehovah's witnesses believe that um humans are basically incapable of re- ruling other humans and mm. They, that the only rightful ruler of humans is God. Therefore, yeah. um, voting is considered considering that their rulership is better than God's. So right. that, that's why they don't vote because they, they believe that God is the only rightful because, one to rule. Because I remember you telling me it and I found it just quite extraordinary the fact that it's your democratic right as we live in a democracy to vote and have, mm-hmm. have a say of whoever is um, representing us and that, the fact that you're not allowed to mm-hmm. uh, ha- have any sort of input in that. And also, would that mean um, they wouldn't recognise now um, His Majesty King Charles III? They would not recognise him as the head of state. How? What's their uh, relations between them in the, in, in the royal family? If that makes sense. So they use the scripture that Jesus said um, because there's a account in the Bible where people are asking Jesus whether he should pay taxes or not if he believes that God is the only yeah. ruler. And he uses the scripture: "Pay back Caesar's things to Caesar's, and God's things to God's." So they sort of believe that although they believe that God is the only rightful ruler, that God has allowed at this moment in time humans to rule over the earth. Therefore, you should always remain respectful of the authorities and and respect the laws unless it contradicts with God's law. So So would... Oh, go on. So, so yeah, they'll always be law-abiding citizens unless it contradicts. Yeah. So, if, if, for example, mandatory conscription became a thing, they would yeah. not. They would be conscientious objectors in that case. Um, yeah, they they wouldn't go to war and things like that. No, no. Um, so are they willing to be get arrested and yes. be put in jail? Yeah, and many Jehovah's wow. Witnesses have. Um, is is sort of part that I still sort of have sympathy for of in countries where 
um, sort of joining the army is considered banditry. They do end up in prison and it's come quite difficult situations. It was, um, it's been, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have actually been banned in Russia, like before um, the war in Ukraine and things. And they've been treated very, very badly there in those prisons, obviously, as you might expect they might be. So absolutely, yeah, yeah they will. They will sort of, yeah, stand up against, and they will still go to prison if if it does contradict with their beliefs. That's that that's, that is amazing. What people would do to, you know, the lengths they would go to to actually do that. So, um, is there any anything else you'd like us and the listeners know to know, Rachel, about that life and what it was like being Jehovah Witness, or anything you want to tell us now? What it's like being out of yeah. yeah. How did it feel when you source of freedom? I mean, I think freedom is it's it's amazing. Um, I think the main thing that I sort of want to get people, if if something doesn't feel right, is to always do your research. And yeah. if somebody tells you not to do that research, consider that as more of an alarm bell than a protection. Because right. okay, um, I sort of say if anything that's genuine truth can't be disputed because that's the whole definition of truth truth is fact and it mm. must always come out on top if it's if it can be disputed then it isn't truth therefore it makes it that it's a lie so if there's a risk of it being disputed then it's something you should question so if you're yeah. there's sort of cult-like um behaviors that happen that there's, there's cults of every kind of thing from financial to business to religious there's the 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 sort of psychology happens more common commonly than you might consider right so to just never be afraid to to research to go out and to look to see to make your own beliefs yeah so to look into it and and if you can reach out to anybody outside of that whatever group you're in to to not be afraid i i know for a long time i was First of all, scared of being caught, but also yeah. scared of being judged by anybody that wasn't Jehovah's Witness and scared of how other people might react. So I sort of held back from reaching out to other people. But if mm-hmm. you can, you know, through social media, sort of privately and, and safely to, to try and reach out to others to kind of build your support network. And yeah, yeah. because if you say it's it's difficult, when it, particularly when your family and friends are involved, do you think how could I ever leave this behind? Of course, because it's like what you know versus the unknowing, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, that's your family. You can't just abandon them. But No, absolutely. And that's still got to be your own choice. But well, yeah. when they're in positions like that, it's not... It's easy to judge like that in sort of a normal family situation. Yeah, of course. You're not, it's not a normal sort of family or friendship situation. Genuine love and genuine family isn't conditional. No, so, of course not. It should so, be yeah. unconditional. To just go out there, do your research, reach out, and you know, make your own decision. Hopefully, one that will. What's their them. argument? You, you mentioned research there. So, what what's your argu- What's their argument for um, doing your own research as an individual? What 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 they say to say? Oh no, we're we're here to protect you from the outside. Or what 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 is the actual argument? Or why yeah. you shouldn't do their own your own research? If that makes sense. So, as I sort of mentioned earlier, anybody that sort of speaks out against the religion is immediately labelled an apostate. Um, yeah. So that's very negative. So, 
anything out there that's sort of judging or questioning the religion it's just considered apostate material and you're supposed to completely ignore it if you see anything hinting towards anything negative out there you're supposed to turn off your tv or close the web browser or unplug it for or anything to just completely ignore it and that's quite common because as soon as you start questioning you start seeing more and more problems unravel from there and they obviously don't want you to go out and honestly i think it's also a big reason why they don't want chovis witnesses to go to university because yeah because it's experiencing life outside that community yeah question and most degrees teach you understandably how to do proper research and how to to look at things objectively and how to question things and they don't want you to use those tactics on the religion so they want to to keep you sort of almost like a sheep almost and just follow in their in their in their word and their word alone sort of yeah and yeah they'll sort of tell you to do research but do their research so go on their website and go and look at their materials their publications which is biased basically yeah it's heavily biased you can research using our material our our websites our texts listen to our news listen to our radio yeah yeah so that that, that, that's quite interesting really because they want it sounds like they want you to have like a narrow mindset of the world if that makes sense they want you have sort of a closed off mindset yeah um of the world they don't want you to be almost too intelligent if that makes sense and to start questioning things yeah i yeah i remember my parents actually said that to to me once they were saying actually too much thinking too logically and too (laughs) smartly can can be a bad thing Um, which is very much i very strongly disagree um absolutely yeah um because yeah i remember like i i I was one of the discussions i was having it basically is saying that to me the facts just didn't line up the facts didn't make sense so i'm like well it's more than fact it's about how you feel it's like yes that's how it makes me feel it's like no it's more it's it's deeper and they couldn't really give me any solid evidence at that point to say either way it yeah yeah so that's that's quite interesting really because what they're almost saying is is don't think rachel just do if that makes sense don't don't think about things too much it's very easy to control like a population or a person if they're dumbed down you know that's the whole thing about control you know you keep a person or a population misinformed and then you can lead them in your way of thinking yeah and it's very deceptive because if you go and listen to one of their sermons, they'll be very much like, oh, no, we're not closed mind. We encourage people to think and to, you know, to, to reason on things. But then you take one step further. And like I say, like I said before, they tell you to research, but research their materials. They'll tell you to think, but think about the Bible, not outside the Bible. They'll tell you, oh, no, it's all your choice. But if something comes from sort of the higher up, the, well, it's called the, the governing body, to do something, you're expected to follow that no matter what. You're not supposed to question that authority. So it's no. it's very contradictory. Yeah. They sort of sometimes say these things on the outside to, be, to seem more reasonable and appearing. But in actual fact, it's quite the opposite that happens. And there is a governing body, isn't there, that oversee all the Jehovah Witness, Rachel? Yeah, so, yeah, there's a group of, oh, I can't remember how many is it, about eight men or so that are based in New York, and, yeah, they're, they're the ones that sort of dictate how everything underneath them goes, really. How is the governing body elected in um, Jehovah's, Witness, in Jehovah's Witness? Like, um, how, how is it exactly? So, um, I've got to admit, I don't know the, like, full-on details. I think you kind of... 
sort of work your way up to that. Of course, it can right, you can only yeah. be a man. You no women oh, really? are allowed to. You know, there's lots. So women aren't even allowed to go up and do sort of sermons on the platform. They're allowed to go and preach, but they're they're not allowed to be in any sort of position of any kind of leadership. So they can't right. be an elder. They can't be part of the governing body. Um, so they have the headquarters in New York and they have sort of different departments there. So okay. I suppose a bit similar way if you're going sort of up a career ladder in a sort of sense, you might go from yeah. an employee to a manager to sort of a higher level manager and then eventually become a director. They yes. sort of start off working some, they'll be, you know, doing full-time preaching or working at the sort of headquarters full-time or something like that. And then they'll sort of go up in the department, then they might become head of department. Quite often it's either the relations or the writing department. And then they sort of, when they they feel it's right, they'll sort of appoint somebody else to become. So the rest of the governing body sort of decides when they want to bring out, bring on someone else. Again, they sort right. of say it's it's sort of God's decision and they'll pray about it and that would therefore... But it's not really God's decision, it's, it's no. the government's body. <laughs> no, but, it's not actually God's decision. But yeah, but they'll pray about it, so they'll, they'll, they'll because I've prayed over it, that means it's God's, but yeah. Something you said about how um, women aren't allowed to have any sort of forms of leadership or mm. try and, you know, be priests or whatever, or elders. That's uh, sexist. Why? What's the terminology? What's their reasoning behind that? It's, oh, yeah, I, I did quite a lot of research into this. So there's uh, sort of scriptures in the Bible, um, which they sort of twist a bit. Um there's certain scriptures that say that men, man's supposed to dominate over women, and they're both supposed to be that that Eve was a helper to Adam. They weren't like on the same level. She was like underneath Adam. So it's supposed to be the hierarchy is God, Jesus, governing Mom. body, uh, men, yeah. women, and then yeah, women are pretty much at the bottom. Is, is that because in the Bible? Is that because in the Bible story? Adam was first created, and then Adam looked for a partner. So God used Adam's rib to create um, Eve. Was that was that sort of their reasoning behind it? Yeah. So yeah, it was basically yeah, um, women were uh, Eve was created as a support to Adam, not yeah. to, which is sort of you know could be an interpretation. Some people, I, if if I was to, I don't agree with it anymore. But if I did, would I would almost say that God created Eve because Adam needed somebody else by his side on the same terms but yeah. they sort of interpreted is that no she's only there to assist she's not on not, the same level not as a partner so to speak mm-hmm. so would that affect say a jehovah's marriage then or if you're in a relationship would you say traditional jehovah's marriage it's more one-sided towards the man so like an yes. old relationship from say the 50s yeah 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 so again like they say when it comes to weddings when they have the mm-hmm. sermon that is one thing that it that does come up is the fact that the the man is supposed to be the head of the household and yeah. they sort of have the final say on decisions you know it's still okay. they still encourage you obviously to be have a loving relationship and for the wife to have a yeah, say yeah. but it's still the man is supposed to be the 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 say all and end all if that makes sense all right so um say if you did get married with jehovah's witness you didn't leave the religion and you would that would you be encouraged to stay at home and look after the kids or would you not be allowed to pursue a career um no actually that that is again it's something entirely up to you fortunately but okay. you would always be considered to look up to your husband as your head so to right, look up to okay. him as being sort of 
say sort of like yeah yeah yep your head above you in, in a sense and yeah it was all, yeah something that always one of one of the several things that bothered me a lot but yeah of course of course it's very um old-fashioned you yeah. know and isn't a place in modern society um would you um so would you in, in so in terms it'd be a bit like if you're on a football team and your husband's the team captain or the manager yeah rather than to our equal partners he's the leader he's in charge and he has final say yeah. on anything really decisions yeah so the way they sort of reason about it like any good team captain would be respectful of the the team and encourage them and be positive towards them yeah but yeah, they yeah. sort of have the final say in where the direction of things go and sort of overview it, it yeah it's it's very similar really yes yeah. i find that fascinating i find that absolutely fascinating that is very i was just gonna say um rachel uh do you do you believe it's a cult or do you think it's just a religion that's gone too far what's your actual view your actual opinion that's a good question yeah that, no, that is a really good question because i tend to be careful about it because obviously these are people's beliefs out there yeah and also cult is a very sensitive word it is strong word however personally when you look at the definitions of a cult and what classes a cult i do consider it to be one and the reason is is because it can be very difficult sometimes to judge what is a cult and what is a religion there have been um very there have been various studies into it um it's it has been debated but i just often have a look at what's called the bite model um being a very bad student here and i can't remember the the name of the uh the guy that meant it but if you search up the bite model you you should um find his research into it um and that sort of breaks down different characteristics into what actually classes an organization as a cult to me a lot of it sort of comes down a bit more to choice um and how it dictates your life so cults tend to try to separate you from the rest of society they will often prevent you from having life experiences that are considered a normal part of growth um yeah they will use a lot of manipulation they'll use um a lot of sort of manipulative language and sort of threats particularly that might be threats of life or threats to do with family and they tend to use a lot of control around social situations um, yeah, yeah. so for example you can be catholic and you can have friends that aren't catholic or you know you can sort of be around others of that belief and you can also be a catholic and choose not to be a catholic and not necessarily i mean obviously it depends there are there are cases where that happens but as an sort of average Catholic, you can choose not to be Catholic and still have your family and, and things like that. Yeah. Whereas they sort of sort of take your family as sort of held against you and um, yeah. So it's it's it, it sort of creates a much bigger sort of division. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm a, I'm actually a, a Catholic, and um, I've been through all the ceremonies like yeah. I've christened first confession holy first holy communion and then the last one was my uh, confirmation but it's like you say in catholicism you're not shunned if you don't practice the religion or you yeah. turn away yeah. from the religion Absolutely. or anything like that you know you're just kind of in a way you're just kind of a normal citizen and no one really yeah. cares in a way yeah. exactly yeah. you can you can still be a a part of society which again is sort of always changing but b i think that big one was about growth for me um the fact that you can be you can be a catholic but you can still 
um, go to university, you can still have those life decisions. And have a normal life. Yeah, have a normal life. And like I said, talking about other culture, it might be something else like they might force you to live in a certain place or certain stop you from doing certain things. Like maybe if you're a woman, you might not be able to drive or um, have a job or a career. And like I say, there are sort yeah. of different ones out there. Um, they just sort of stop those things that should be a part of everyday life and they're just sort of forced not to. Um, yeah, like I say, if, if anybody's sort of sceptical about this, I would sort of say, although like I say, it's debated, I'd have a look at the bike model. Um because it sort of breaks down quite a few different things that even if you don't necessarily consider that to be a cult, it certainly, I'd say, pinpoints a lot of the topics that create a bit of a division between sort of cults and religions and organisations. Right. Okay. So it kind of like, it kind of gives you um, a box of specifications, say, what classes, what classes is a cult, what classes is a religion? Yeah. And I say generally, I think if you just look at the definition of a cult itself, it's yeah. generally an organization that has an unreasonable attachment to one thing. So hmm. that might be a certain leader, a certain individual, a certain practice, a certain belief, to a point where you'd say, it's, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll actually get the definition up now. Yeah, no, um, of course, no worries. It's fine. Um, So da, da, da. that's not the one I want the cult definition. So top one comes off. It's so a system of religious veneration and devotion. Like I say, personally, it doesn't necessarily have to be religion. It's just a say veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object, which is quite vague, really. Um, but yeah the, the sort of subheading on that it says a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular thing so it's that point where it becomes to the point it's excessive that it can actually you know diminish like people's quality of life i'd say yeah 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 so um we're coming up to nearly two hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one hour forty eight. Dale, do you do you have any question more que uh, final questions you'd like to ask Rachel before we get Rachel's final thoughts? And no, I'm I'm very happy to. An overview now, Bill. If you've got any more questions. No, I'm fine. Um, have you got any questions for us, Rachel, or any 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 anything you'd like um, to ask us? Yeah, I don't know. Um. Yeah, but like, what, what's your sort of opinion of sort of seeing how I've come through through this, like both when I was in high school and where I am now, and what was sort of your sort of views from what you saw on the outside? How was anything particularly obvious to you that that seemed a bit off? Or if you don't mind, Dil, I'll go first on this. Yeah, no, you go first. Bill. In in school, Rachel, I always um, I, I always had, I, I, you know admired you how you you know, we're a Jehovah Witness and you see, you know, you kept here and I'll never forget this one day. What I'm, well, I'll explain what I mean now. You probably won't even remember this, but, uh, <laughs> we were in, you know how we used to have assemblies, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you know how some of the assemblies, they'd get you to bow your head. Mm. Uh, and like they'd say like a little prayer yeah and because i was probably similar mindset to you being a catholic but obviously not as bad as your case but i'd always like look around to see whose head would be bowed and stuff like that just probably because i was a bit nosy yeah and um you would never bow your head no and you know and i've always i noticed that and i thought 
you know what, even though you might not be liking what you're going through, you, you know, you're it's that in that time you were devoted to being yeah. Jehovah Witness. Yeah. And that was quite that was mad to see really. <clears throat> Yeah. And um yeah, you know, it was it was mad. But yeah, my opinion on you know, on you coming through this is I think it's very inspirational, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, this going out on the um Spotify and YouTube and very various other platforms I think there might be some people out there that this is it going to help and I think you're very brave and again yeah I just want to say thanks for doing it but you know see to see you thriving now as a person as well that's that's really amazing you know you're doing your own thing like you said you're doing your open university you got a job you're working by yourself and it just goes to show that anyone can get out of a situation they don't want to be in yeah even how hard it could be yeah what about you Dil? Uh, well, that's an interesting thing. So, I'll be honest with you, Rachel. You and I didn't. I wouldn't say we were really friends in school. I don't no. think we really spoke yeah. to each other. Um, I think now it's a lot different. We have, you know, we're we, we, we're we're a social group and uh, we are friends. Um, but I ha- I have found your journey to be quite extraordinary. I mean, I do remember actually. I do remember actually we had the Christmas jumper day and yeah. uh, you had like, uh, do you remember that? And you yeah, had, like, they were, plain jumper. yeah, and I put a hat on saying this is not a Christmas jumper. <laughs> yeah, 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 and I found that quite comedic to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's quite funny. But um, I don't know, I mean, to see where you were in school and to see how you are now and getting to know you now these past few years, you know, I've really enjoyed your company and I find it absolutely inspirational. I did feel sorry for some of the, you know, you told me some of the stuff you went through and I do feel we, we've had many conversations about it and I do did kind of feel really upset for you and a bit heartbroken really. But as Bill said, not looking at you now, you know, you're much more confident. You're living the life of, a, you know, someone in their twenties, you know, you're in a relationship, you've got a job, you live on your own. You know, it's, I'm glad to see you're really enjoying life now and really living your life for you and not for the religion, if that makes sense. Cause that's, I think, you know, from speaking to you in the past about it, especially on this podcast, I'm sure a lot of these listeners will um, get from this is that while you were in the religion, you just seem to be living your life for religion. Mm-hmm. While most religions you live, you, 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 it's, you know, it's just faith, but you don't live your life through it, but it just seemed like you were living your life for the religion and not for yourself. But now you become much more confident. You're much more free spirited. And I, I really enjoy it. This new you, I, I think it's, doing you the world of good and it'll continually continuously improve yourself if that makes sense yeah definitely thank you yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i just want to say i just want to say as well um a big thank you as well for coming on this podcast rachel um you know it's very brave of you it's very courageous and uh, we really do appreciate it don't we though yeah honestly i think you're gonna help a lot of people who may be who may be in the same sort of shoes as you who've left when they don't really know what to do or they're still in the religion themselves and they're contemplating leaving so you know you could really uh, be a big inspiration to those sort of people and uh the last thing rachel i just want to get some final thoughts from you and about um what people who if there's anyone like you say in the jehovah witness community listening to this what they should take away from this podcast and just some final thoughts for you um, from you before we uh, wrap this up yeah so like i say as i mentioned before about sort of doing your own research and if something feels wrong 
don't sort of dismiss that just you know if something feels wrong you your gut feeling is a genuine thing um but i think one thing that i kind of want to mention to anybody that might not be listening whether they're part of the religion or not part of a religion or 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 just generally struggling with their mental health is something you touched on is that at that time i genuinely felt like i was in an impossible place i my entire life was dictated by this this belief system and i felt like there was absolutely no way out of this not a way out that couldn't involve hurting a lot of people and i felt incredibly incredibly trapped and I'd see people that leave and thought, yeah, that's just, it's just seemed impossible. I just genuinely felt like there was no way to get out. But I went to therapy. I, it took a long time. I sort of worked there, but I'd got there and my life is so much better for it. So you can be in the darkest of places, the worst of places, and genuinely feel like there is nothing you can do to get out of them. And I had you have people telling you it, but they really, really is a way out and you really can do it. You, you can feel like the weakest person there and you do have the strengths. You just don't see it at that time, but you do. Well, thank, thank you very much, Rachel. That was, that was some lovely thoughts there. Yeah. Lovely thoughts. It's like, um, I don't know if you're into Harry Potter or anything, right? <laughs> I am now. That was another thing I wasn't allowed to watch, but I've been getting into it recently. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like what Dumbledore said. You all, even in the darkest of times, you just have to remember to turn on the light. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I really need yeah. to read more Harry Potter. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, this has been the Misunderstood World Podcast with Rachel Abbott, and uh, I'll see you soon. See you. Take care, guys. Bye now. Peace out.